When people think of the future, when people think of the future, they think technology. Tech, tech, tech. Take a drive through town. What do you see? You don't see tech, do you? This is the On Grade Podcast. This show is about construction and the people who make it happen. Whether you want to start your own business, grow your business, or learn more about construction, we'll have on the pros. From business owners to industry leaders, you'll hear about new equipment, building a company, and growing your business, and how the construction industry is changing. Let's do it. This is the On Grade Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Brandon Weinlein and Devin Boudreaux. Hey everybody, welcome to On Grade. This is episode 13. I got Brian Mingus on here tonight, and my co-host, Devin Boudreaux, is in the studio. What's going on, guys? Brian, introduce yourself to everybody. Hi, I'm uh, Brian Mingus here, been... Uh, been in construction now for since I was 16 and excited to be on the show with you. Well, appreciate you coming on, man. So Brian reached out to us on LinkedIn. He's working on a highway project uh, just down the road from us. And uh, so Brian, kind of tell us your story, man. Tell us your background and how you got into this thing. So actually, I got lucky in, with doing this. I met my, met my girlfriend at the time, now my wife now for Oh, let's see. It's been 17 years now we've been married, and her parents owned a construction company. They've been in business. They've actually had several businesses, one here in Texas, and then that one went out, and they uh, started up one in Arizona, and I got the chance to work for them as a laborer. I started with them as a laborer, uh, running blue tops and booting up stakes out on the out on the site development site, and from there got to run some, uh, run some water trucks, <laughs> some small equipment, what we call Gannon tractors in Arizona, and Got to be on the more bigger machines, and uh, unfortunately, in 2008, in the Great Recession, that company went out of business, and uh, went to go work for kind of like a city improvement company called uh, Aiken Gardner. I uh, went work for them for a little while, and ended up having to move here to Texas, and it's been kind of history ever since. That's awesome, man. So, you're thinking about going out on your own. You kind of explained that to me in the thing. So, what what's got you driving? that entrepreneurial spirit to want to do that i've had uh i'm not proud to say it but you know i've worked for a decent amount of companies since i've been here to texas when i lived in arizona i worked for two two contractors and since i've been here in texas it's i don't have enough fingers to count how many companies i work for in different cities and of in texas and seen a lot of good things and i've seen a lot of bad things and a lot of the good things is you know is part of what i want to start off with the company is having a company where people really enjoy working there. That's really the biggest avenue that I'm kind of working towards. And just having a group of people around me that everybody loves what they're doing. And that's, that's a huge, huge part for me. You looking to get in the dirt side of things or the project management side of it? What are your, what are your thoughts? Strictly dirt. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been doing a lot of pretty much from the start of my career. It's been finished work and that's kind of what my forte is. And I like to kind of stay in that. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing I can pass along and Devin too, uh, be probably able to pass this along as well is stay humble. You know, when you, when you start getting guys, man, don't forget where you came from. That's what I think a lot of guys forget when they get bigger. They worry so much about how they look and the perception and, you know, 
oh my god i don't have enough stickers on my tractors you know all the just move dirt man and take care of your guys dude do good work and work for the right people that's the key and you're already knowing that we were talking about it before we started recording you know it's it's a very humbling experience being a business owner i'll tell you that and uh there's there's gonna be some awesome you're gonna have some awesome days and you're gonna have some terrible days being a superintendent project manager you know that but it multiply it by 10 because that's your money now you're dealing with it's not it could not be a publicly traded company's money or just a massive company that you're working for that it's their money you know they'll write that off this could be the difference between you making payroll next week or going bankrupt so you know it's a humbling experience so you know Devin, you got anything you want to add to that well, the biggest thing with it is it's you start out in business, the first big problem you get is going to seem insurmountable, just this crazy thing, you know, and you're going to look at it and like, how do I deal with this? What am I going to do? You know, rack your brain. You're going to drive yourself nuts. You'll find a solution to it. You'll move past that one. A couple months down the road, you'll have another one. That one's going to seem the same thing. And eventually you're going to get to a point where you realize that these problems don't stop coming. It's just what it is. That's business. And eventually they just become normal. So these massive problems that seemed crazy in the beginning that you never thought you'd be able to solve or figure out a way around or, or sort out, you're going to figure out how to get around the first one, two, three, four. By the time you get to the seventh, eighth, tenth problem, it's just normal at that point. And it's a weekly occurrence and all right, cool. You know, it just become, you almost become numb to it and not in the sense that you, you don't think of them, you don't look at them, whatever, but it, it just becomes a lot easier to deal with. Not because the problem's smaller or the problem's easier to handle. You just get used to fielding those problems. A lot of it comes around with money, billing, payments, that kind of stuff. That's that's usually where you're going to hit your biggest hiccups because the dirt side of things and moving dirt, like you've seen all those problems. Those are all things that you've dealt with already at this point. Those are whatever, you know, fix it, big deal. It's when it comes to getting paid or meeting payroll or, you know, meeting your deadlines. Those are things that are going to be problems that are going to be probably different and new to you to deal with. And once you get through a few of them, you know, you, you keep going and you just keep moving through them and they get easier and easier, not because the problem's smaller, just because you get more used to it. It's like anything, right? Learn to ride a bike, learn to swim, whatever. When you start out, it's insurmountable. Once you get going into it, it's not that big of a deal. You just get used to it and keep moving. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. And, uh, I think you're going to kick ass, man. And, you know, you've been doing this a long time. You know the game. Um, And you reached out to us and said, hey, I want to learn how to bid jobs. And it was humbling to hear you ask me that when I checked out your resume. I'm like, this guy already knows how to estimate. Why does he want to learn how to estimate? (laughs) But, you know, um, when you and me were talking offline before the show, there was things we were talking about that you were like going, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, what I would say is when you're – when you're getting started on your own, the biggest thing you got to do is land your first job. <laughs> that's so, that's actually on my wall up, up in my bedroom right yeah. now. It's, it's that one right there. Yeah. So what you got to do is <clears throat> find you a great rental company to start with. Go around town. Um, this is for the viewers as well, everybody. But we're doing this with Brian to help him get started. So hopefully you guys can take notes and listen to what we're saying. Find a great rental company. Find a great fleet company to get you your fuel you know get one of them on-site tank rentals um you know there's great companies all around the country that do it try to find somebody that doesn't net 30 terms though there's going to be a lot of these fuel companies are going to want you to pay in 10 days or 15 days try to do a net 30 um you know 
get multiple accounts with trucking companies. Don't just get one because what will happen is they might make you a good deal on one job and they know you're, you've only got an account with them and they're going to just sucker you in. And then next thing you know, you're not being able to shop your pricing, uh, get a really good saw, man. Don't go with one of these big saw companies, get you a good saw guy. Just, I got a guy, he's a one man operation. He's been doing my sawing for five years and he's awesome. And we work with each other. He's, put up with the times that I had to pay him slow and he's <laughs> happy as crap when I can pay him a little ahead of time. So, you know, find somebody like that. Um, <clears throat> the other thing too, is you want to think about your, if you can get a fleet deal where they come out and the wet hose, you get it where they blow out your filters, they grease for you. They do all that stuff. Renting the key with that is, is, you know, you're going to have the maintenance done on your equipment. So if you have any issues with the machine going down when you're first starting up, you got it all on a rent. So they're going to have to come out and fix it. Um, make sure you get good insurance. Um, when you're running a smaller company, usually your insurance premiums aren't too bad. You should be able to get general liability, a little bit of umbrella. Most of the GCs now though are requiring I'm seeing it a lot now. I don't know if you have yet, but I'm starting to see they're wanting 2 million GL, which I've had that for a while now, but they're wanting a minimum of 2 million on some really small jobs I've been doing. And then they're wanting some umbrella. Um, you know, great companies to look at is there's insurance companies all around the, the town um, that do really good insurance for contra contractors. I got sucked into the whole going on Google and going, I need construction insurance. And I've got some company out of California and I was paying an arm and a leg and I got the guy here local and he's got me with way better, way better insurance companies and I'm paying way less. Um, you're not going to be, if you're doing dirt work strictly, you're probably not going to need to pull bonds much. <clears throat> but what I would do if I was you, once you get going and about a year into it, start looking into how to get a bonding going. Um, now, the reason I'm talking about all this is that's so you start knowing how much everything costs. There you go. So when you get all this data put together, you know, get get a get a proposal from the fuel company. This is how much we'll charge you a gallon to wet hose you. This is how much we'll charge per gallon when we put it on a tank. You know, this is our terms. Get a rental sheet from your rental rep. Go, okay, how much is it to mobilize the equipment out here? Uh, if you want to use your own trucking guy, you call him up. Say, hey, man, how much is it to get your worst case scenario Cost from say, hey, I need to move a tractor from Weatherford to Dallas. How much is that going to? Yeah, be? don't don't just get the rental rate sheet. Get a rental quote on each piece because there's going to be taxes and other stuff added on. So the rate sheet's going to show you the base rate, but when you get the actual rental quote, you're going to have taxes and trucking and all this stuff associated with that piece that might add you know thousand fifteen hundred bucks two grand a month to that cost. So if you just go off the rate sheet and you go to build your prices off of that, you're going to miss all those things that are on the actual quote. So you want an actual you know, if you got five pieces you think you're going to use, get a quote for each one of those pieces, like a complete quote, and then you'll get the full cost of having that machine for a month or a week or whatever you're going to rent off. Really, then know, you, really know what that hourly rate is. Yeah, because you know, if it's a seven, eight thousand dollar piece for a month, but you miss fifteen hundred dollars of cost, that's a big percentage when you're looking at your when you're looking at it. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode, but I'd like to take a minute of your time to talk to you about today's sponsor. Are you a GIS professional? Land surveyor or construction professional looking for the best in surveying equipment, software, and service? Look no further than AGS Inc. AGS Inc. is an authorized dealer for Topcon and Sokia Surveying Equipment Dealer and EOS Aero Mapping Products Dealer. 
with a supply store in Grapevine, Texas to serve the DFW Metroplex, Central Texas Presence, and a corporate headquarters in Houston, Texas, AGS has you covered. Stop by and experience the AGS Inc. difference today. At AGS, it is a service after the sale that counts. AGS is the proud sponsor of the On Grade Podcast. On Grade Podcast listeners, give these guys a call if you want to talk about bringing precision surveying, layout, drones, GPS, GIS, or 3D scanning spatial technologies to your company. Thank you, and have a great evening. Back to the episode. You're listening to the On Grade Podcast. Construction. Construction. It's what we do. Now, back to Brandon and Devin. Right after this, I'm going to get your email, dude. I'm going to send you something. All right. Appreciate it. Devin knows what I'm talking about. I got this little thing I got that helps me calculate my hourly rate. I wish I'd had it five years ago when I started because I was spitballing that thing. Oh, that seems about right. <laughs> yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> so <clears throat> you got to remember utilization rate too. That's the other thing you got to think about when you're building your hourly rate. You're never going to get a hundred percent. So you want to be roughly about 80. Yeah, it's fair. 79%. Yeah. yeah. 79 to 85 tops, 85. That's like highway work. You're working two 12 hour shifts. You know what I'm talking about back in the day, you know, you're never getting above 85. So I would tops go 80. Maybe, like you said, 79%. Calculate your 79% utilization rate. That's going to get you an hourly rate. When you start bidding a job, guys, I know we're talking in Swahili because it's a little advanced stuff, but what you need to do is what we're basically saying is you're taking the piece of equipment you're using, the operator that's in that machine, what he costs an hour. You're including tax, payroll tax, workers' compensation, fuel, overhead, EOE, equipment maintenance, Greasing this thing, putting fuel in it every day, and overhead to cover your costs and your foreman's and your truck and all this other stuff. This is what's calculated in that hourly rate. So once you lock down your hourly rates, then you got to figure out how much production can I do a day. So depending on what line item you're doing. So if you're stripping a job site, so you're just going out stripping the grass off the job site, you know with this size bulldozer, you can do it in roughly four hours. So... Okay, I'm doing an acre site. I can do with a D6, I can strip that site in four hours. Okay, so you take your square footage of that lot, you divide that by, most people when they strip a site, they strip for two inches. I don't know how you calculate, but I'd strip for two inches. So I'm stripping two inches of the topsoil off the job site. That's all I'm doing. So I have way less organic material that I have to deal with later on. So I strip my job site two inches. Once I strip my job site, I calculate, okay, I know these two machines running together. I can do 800 yards a day, 1,000 yards a day, whatever that amount is. Okay, I'm going to plug that amount in. So that's going to give me my roughly what per price per cubic yard it's going to cost to strip that site. Per unit, yeah. Yep. Then you're going to calculate <clears throat> your next thing. So if you have to do – oh, the other thing I forgot to mention to you, um, getting off track for just a second before we get back to this. Um, really good erosion control company. All the GCs now want you to do your own erosion control. So make sure you find a really good erosion guy. There's tons of them around town, but I've got great recommendations. We'll talk offline about that. Um, and we'll get you lined up. For sure. So there's some, there's some really, that's the other thing guys though, for everybody around the country though, make sure you find a really good silt fence guy. 
they're out there, man. Get a guy that's really reputable. And especially these bigger guys, they're going to want to help you. They're like, oh, man, a new client, you know, this guy's getting started up. And they might be able to give you some advice on who to work for and not work for. If you go, hey, I'm going to get a job with this guy, they might go, oh, yeah. you know, a couple of the, my other clients work for him. Maybe watch out, you know. So <clears throat> that's biggest thing with that is that. But when you're when you're starting to estimate, the biggest things you need to know is you need to know what stuff costs. You need to know your quantities. That's the biggest thing. This doing you you can do it old school if you need to you know go to go to your local Kinkos go to your local you know UPS store they all have plotters you can print off make sure though that they're to scale you can scale it out you can do the five by five squares and calculate how much cut how much fill you got in each quarter and you can add that up it'll take you forever there's also freelance services you can use when you're first starting up where you go hey man. I know this guy wants me to get do this job for him. Can you, if I send you the plans and the soils report, can you send me back quantities? Yeah. And then you just go on Excel. You build your, your basic bid sheet. And your basic bid sheet should include a mobilization line item that has how many machines you're bringing in. Uh, any surveying you're going to have to do because you're going to need a good surveyor. Everybody needs a surveyor. <clears throat> Staking. All that stuff, you need to put all that in your mobilization line item. And when you do that, you want to mark that up at least 20%. That's in Texas. I don't know. You know, some people in Indiana, I'm not putting names out here, can get 40 or 50 somehow. I'm not saying names, but you can't do that down here. Good luck. They'll laugh you out of the hall. But so you want to start with that. And then you want to move on to the next thing you're wanting to work on. So depending on what you're doing. So if you're hauling off dirt, you need to calculate how many yards of dirt you're actually hauling off. You need to swell that dirt. You need to figure how many loads a day you're going to get off the job site. And you need to figure loading time. So, um, Devin, I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> I've been talking a lot. Good, no, good, good, good information. It's good stuff. It's good information. And that's the thing. And the one thing we kind of got to go back to, I guess, in utilization, when you're looking at a rental on a piece of equipment, say you're going to use that dozer for four hours to strip, you're paying for the day. So that's something you got to factor in. If you own the piece, it's a little different. You're bringing it on. You're putting four hours of runtime on the machine. Your rate's built into that. If you're renting a piece of equipment for a day or a week or a month and you're not getting the full use out of it and you calculate your hourly rate off the cost of that piece, if your utilization is real low, you're going to start cutting into your margins too. So you got to kind of look at on the scale of the month or the job, you know, am I going to get full utilization of that piece so that your hourly rate's going to work? And if you're not, you're going to have to adjust that rate. So most rental companies are going to run a 40, what is it? You're doing an 840 yeah, and 160. You only get, uh, most most rentals, it, it, you can pay a little extra with some of them and do a 50-hour week. Yeah, so that, that, that was a lot of it I was seeing. Yeah. Was it depends on, they they yeah. base off of an eight-hour day yeah. Yeah. Know, is what it's based on. 40-hour week and yeah. 160 for the what month. Dirt, yeah. What dirt contractor works an eight-hour day? I don't no. know of any. I, I don't. That's the thing you got to factor into your rate, right? So when you're doing the math, you say you look at the scope of the job and you're going to bring a 320 and a D6 in or whatever you're bringing. When you run your numbers and you figure out how many hours you're going to put on to do the job, well, if you don't have 160 hours of use in that machine for the month, now you got to go back and adjust your rates. So if your total cost was 10 grand, you divided by 160, when you're only going to use it 100, you got to break that 10 grand down be on 100 more, hours, not 160. Now, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When you're when you're building it off an hourly rate. So that's that's one thing to, to think of and look at, especially when you're using rental equipment. Because when you're starting, you're going to use rental gear. 
when you own the equipment, that number is a little different. The calculation works a little differently on it. You're going back to utilization of the machine over time, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's a little more forgiving if you, you mix it, mix up, mix up or miss something. But if you're paying a monthly rental rate and you're not using that and you've built your price off the hourly rate that you figured out, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot pretty quick on that too. So something to consider, especially with that. The other thing I would add to that too is, is, um, when you are getting ready to start the first job, like I was talking about guys, um, the first thing you got to do is you got to build you a bid, bid form. You got to build a proposal. Um, you can go online though and you can find them. A uh, great thing to use is QuickBooks actually, believe it or not. You can get QuickBooks like uh, a cheap version of it. I don't you know what it costs. But it's, about, it's about 800 bucks. Yeah, it's about 800 bucks. Uh, and you can build estimates off that. I wouldn't recommend doing it off that. I personally am the fan of building my own because – when you do that, you can have all of your inclusions, exclusions, all that stuff on the next page. Um, Devin can attest to this from some of the work we've done together. My proposal is five pages long. Uh, <laughs> and it was for literally just to dig a trench. So, yeah. but gotta you know, you got to, you got <laughs> to do, unfortunately I trust him more than anything in the world. Don't get me wrong. He's got my back, but it's, it's unfortunate that you have to do that. Um, but that that's further down in the episode. I don't mean to get that far down. Um, the biggest things you got to know, guys, when you're doing estimating is you've got to know what stuff costs and you've got to know margins. If you don't know your margins, uh, just imagine this, okay? I'm going to hand Devin on $100. I'm immediately taking $10 from him because they're going to take 10% on that job, right? And they're going to hold that interest-free till the end of the job. Now, if you're doing public work, it's 5%. But if you're doing any kind of commercial work, it's normally 10%. So what you have to do is you have to build your jobs knowing that, hey, I might be doing a $300,000 job, but $30,000 of that job I'm not going to see for possibly up to year, two years. So you have to build your rates to cover that cost, to cover all your costs, and still have operating income so you can get down the road. And that's something you got to configure. You have to build your rates so that you know, hey, 10% of this number, I'm not going to see. So that's where you swell that rate. You swell that rate with that 10%. You go, okay, I'm putting 20 in this machine. But you actually make a line inside that hourly rate that goes retainage. And that's what I do. I put a retainage line item into my actual hourly rate. So I go, okay. This is what it costs right now with the retainage beam, with the retainage rate. So I go, okay, if it's, you know, say it's $220 an hour to run that machine. That means they're taking $22 an hour out of my, out of my hourly rate. So I just tack on that $22. So I'm getting my money back in a way. Yes, they're still taking that, <laughs> but I'm getting the margin I actually need to operate. So yeah, mar- margin has been a big part of what I've been trying to figure out when it comes to, you know, aspects of actually getting the cost right and understanding because, you know, there's there's a lot of information out there when it comes to margins and profits and nobody actually has a broken down like that, Brandon. And so I'm, I'm interested. So when it comes to margin, every company is different. So the bigger the company, typically the smaller the margin. The smaller the company, the bigger the margin you're running because basically your margin is what's accounting for your overhead cost. So when you're running a job, people always get this confused. Markup and margin. They're two different things. Markup, if I want to put a 30% markup on $100, it's $130. Bucks. You're adding $30 bucks to it. 
to get your margin, you're dividing your $100 by 0.7. If you want a 30% margin and your cost is $100, you're dividing that by 0.7. That's the difference. And those numbers aren't the same. And everyone confuses that. A markup and a margin are two different things. So when you're talking about financials for a company and your profit margin, they're not talking about the markup you put on something to get your profit margin. For a good company to operate, anything less than a 10% net profit margin at the end of the year is pretty friggin' slim. You know, most companies, if you look at any like accounting and CPAs and financials and stuff, you're in that 10 to 20% net profit range. Most companies are going to need to have a 30%, 40% gross margin to get a 10 to 20% net margin. And basically what that means is after your operating expenses, your overhead comes out of it. So if I'm bidding a job and it's $100 for the job and I need a 30% margin on that $100, that 30% margin is what's going to pay for my shop, my secretary, the admin, the advertising, the marketing, the hats, all that stuff comes out of that margin and what's left is your net profit at the end of the year, your taxes, all that stuff. So that's where people confuse things. You need to figure out your numbers and your overhead cost to figure out what margin you need to, to operate on. And that's where a lot of guesswork comes in. So when you're starting out, you don't know how much money you're going to make this year. You don't know what your overhead is. You don't know. You don't it's know any of these things. It's a guess. Yeah. It's, a, it's an educated guess, right? So you have to look at it and say, okay, I think I'm going to do $100,000 a month in revenue. Okay, I'm going to do 1.2 million this year. Well, my shop is going to cost, you know, three grand a month. And my secretary is going to cost this. And my QuickBooks is going to cost that, you know, and there's all different things to add into that. Then you get a number at the end of that. So say it's $300,000. You need to make that $300,000 fit into your margin. So when it comes to building numbers and, and building your cost, you can kind of do it the the dumb, simple way, which is basically figure out your your bare costs in that machine, you know, your operator, your fuel, your, you know, all the costs that are going to, like everything we we're talking about before. If you know that it's going to cost you $120 an hour to run that machine and you've done some dumb math and you figure out that, okay, I need a 30% gross margin in order to get a 10% net margin at the end of the year. If the only thing that your company does is supply equipment and man hours and you're not buying material, you can take your cost of that machine, the 120 divide that by 0.7 and you've just tagged a 30% margin onto your hourly costs. And then at the end of the year, if all that you did was just supply machine time and build machine time, you've basically effectively built a 30% margin on everything you've done. Where it gets convoluted is when you start buying materials and stuff to a site. You can't put a 30% margin on a on a piece of material, typically you're looking at like a 20% markup. So that's markup, where yeah. things get confused because on material, you usually put a markup on it on equipment and labor and man hours. You're putting a margin on that. They're two different things. So you almost want to separate your material side of the business and your equipment and man hours side of the business. But if all you're going to do is supply machine time and you're not going to have markup on stuff like that, the simple way to do it when you're starting out until you get your numbers is shoot to have a 30% gross margin on everything. And then you adjust from there. In the first year, you might end up with a 5% net profit, or you might end up with a 20% net profit. And then you can adjust your numbers from there once you have some data to back that up. But in the beginning, that's kind of the simple way to to really start with it is, is work it that way. Most big excavation companies, even probably about your size and a little bigger, they're usually in that 20 to 30% gross profit margin range. Smaller outfits like 
myself and that we're above 30 usually to cover our overhead cost. But that's where you have to kind of get creative to work with that. Because if I'm bidding against a big utility company, their margin is going to be lower than mine on their on the bid. That's so then my hourly rate goes up higher. Well, and that's just the thing, right? So when you're smaller, you got to know that your overhead is getting chewed up by less pieces. So if I have 10 pieces paying for X amount of overhead, or I have 100 pieces, my overhead doesn't typically scale proportionately to the amount of pieces that I'm adding to the pie on when it comes to equipment, right? So a big company that might have 100 pieces, their shop might only be 2% of their cost or their overhead might be 2% of their cost. But a smaller company doesn't have quite as big of a shop and doesn't have many as many employees, but it's still quite a bit of money in proportion to the amount of hours they're billing out. Understood. So that's where kind of, you got to kind of play with that a bit. But if you shoot to be at like a 30% margin in your first year, you're probably not going to lose money. And, you know, in that sense, you're not going to lose money on things as long as you're not going crazy with buying, you know, <laughs> extravagant stuff for your shop, you know, going nuts. But if you're operating a normal business, if you started a 30% margin, that's kind of going to give you that you're in the middle ground, right? So on the high end, you might, you know, some companies might be at 40% and on the big outfits are going to be at like 20 in that range. So if you hit shoot at 30, it's a pretty good starting point to kind of play with, with it. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, you, you will have to adjust it. It's just one of those things. And that's where having a good accountant and constantly updating your financials and your numbers and knowing your costs in every job, you can track your margin at every single project that you do. You go do a job for a month, figure out all your costs, everything into that, track your margin on that one job. And you can see, okay, I charged a 30% margin this job and I netted out 8%. Okay, well, I got to bump my margin up a little bit if I want to be at 10 or 12, yeah, yeah. you know, or you can back it down maybe because you're, you're making a good profit if you want to be more competitive, but it's a good starting point. If you start at 30, you can kind of go work up and down. From yeah. The other thing too, um, that you can do to help you out with this is when you're, when you're taking a rental, right, they're going to give you a weekly, they're going to give you like, he was just talking about the full proposal. Right. Like where it's got all the taxes on it, mobilization, all that stuff. What you want to do is you divide that by three weeks instead of four. Just remember that you divide it by three and you're going to bump it into only a 40 hour work week, not a 50. You're never going to put a 50 hour work week when you're building an hourly rate. Even if you work 50 hours, you're only putting a 40 hour work hourly rate. And I'll tell you why you do that. You're getting more money per hour if you bid at a 40 hour work rate. Now, if the job is authorized that kind of overtime, then you go ahead and go 50. But what I always do is I bill my jobs at 40 hours. So I'm actually getting more an hour when I do work that 50 hours because if you stretch that amount of money out over 50 hours versus 40, you're actually not getting as much an hour. Makes sense. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Now, the 0.7 thing, I've never heard that before, actually. I just learned something. That's pretty clever, dude. It's just I got I got a different way I calculate it, but you and me actually came out the same number. I just do it differently. Yeah, and that's just it's a simple. Like I said, you have to be careful with that because when you start throwing materials and trucking and all this stuff in where you're adding markup on it, that can skew your numbers way out of whack. Because yeah, if you look really... at, you know, you you did a hundred thousand in revenue this month, but thirty thousand of that was trucking, where you only had a ten percent markup on that trucking or twenty percent markup on that trucking, and seventy thousand was machine hours with your margin on it. That can start messing things up. So you got to pay attention to your numbers and what you're doing when you're when you're doing it. But in the beginning, when you're trying to build rates, it's a simple way to kind of get your hourly rate for the piece that's going to encompass your overhead. So when you look at your overhead, you know you can lump you know your insurance, you can lump your shop, you can put your trucks, you know all those things that you can't build directly to the job. You can bail into your your overhead because in your insurance. Say you got a $50,000 year insurance policy. 
how many hours of the year am I working? I don't know. I don't have enough data to give me an average. So rather than trying to guess on that, you can lump that insurance into your overhead cost and then work it out off the 30% margin instead of trying to, you know, charge 35 cents an hour to each piece because you don't know. So until you have all the data to really work off of, it's hard to get those numbers to be accurate and you can be way off. So when you're starting out using that little cheat sheet is kind of the way to, 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 to do it so that you're not losing money and then also accumulate data so you can figure out down the road. What the true cost is. Yeah. You would never, you'd never want to run a company that's, you know, 10 years in business and hundreds of millions of dollars using that formula. You'd be, you know, way out to lunch. But in the beginning, when you're only small and you're starting out, that's a pretty good way to get a good average and a good starting point. And then you can kind of adjust as you go. But when you're doing that, you want to track every job. And at the end of the job, you want to sit down and, okay, what's my actual numbers on it? You know, you price it at a 30% margin. I figured I was going to make once, 10% once, once net. Once everything comes out of that pot of money, basically. Yeah, exactly. And then you can sit down and look at your numbers and say, okay, well, the actual, I actually got, you know, a 12% net profit on it and I had, you know, a 33% gross margin. Okay. Then you can fine tune from there until you get a year or two into business and you have enough hours and data to actually build these proper numbers and sheets. But in the beginning, I would start with that, you know, and different industries use different margins in the excavation and dirt world that 20 to 40 is a pretty normal window. You get into like HVAC, plumbing, electrical, those trades. Some of those guys are running like 60, 70% margins, you know, especially in a, in a growing HVAC or electrical company and stuff. Most of those guys are running like 60 plus percent margins on their jobs. They're making huge money on that stuff, but every industry is different and what they'll bear when it comes to rates and, and that. So when you get into the, the thing with, to keep in mind with the dirt world is you're bidding against guys that are 150, $200 million companies where you get into the service industries, they tend to be smaller companies. So their overheads are all pretty similar. So they run higher margins to all compensate for similar overheads. The cost, get of, in, the cost of goods associated with coming with the business. Exactly. Right. So when you look at the industry as a whole, especially in the excavation space, you know, our overhead is massive, you know, and then you get tons of big companies that are doing, you know, 100, 200, $300 million. And if you're bidding against those guys, well, their margins are a whole lot less. So, yeah, because the rates, the rates are going to be the same. The rates, yeah. You know, Cinecola goes out to Holt and rents a, rents a machine, and you go rent a machine. They might get a 10% better rate than you, but it's not going to be crazy different. You know, but their margin on that machine when they make their rate is going to be a 20% margin. You might need a 40% margin. So, keep, when you're going to keep the, the doors open, yeah. Yeah. So, that's the thing to kind of consider. So, in our line of work in that industry, start in that 20 to 40 range, pick a number and start bidding jobs. And you know, if you're not getting jobs, back it down a bit. If you're getting every job, put it up, you know, and yeah, then that, 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 that's a pretty good indicator. You know, you, you, you can kind cheap. of, <laughs> you can kind of play with that. And then once you do one or two jobs, you know, you might lose money or break even on the first job and you know, you might make a shit ton of money on the next one. And then you can kind of adjust from that. But when you're doing what I was talking about, make sure you're tracking your numbers on every project, you know, as, as, as short a period as you can, so that if you're wrong, you know, you're not losing a crazy amount or, or multiple whatever. projects. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's the only thing with it, but it's a good starting point to kind of start with that. Like right now we're, we're roughly right at the 20% mark. Like he's talking about, like when I first started, shit, dude, I was getting 40, 45% margins, but you get, you start getting on these bigger projects. Like he's talking about, and you're starting to bid against the bigger boys. They're moving dirt for 
Pen, of pennies, what, yeah. yeah, half of what you can move it for. But the reason is, like he's talking about, they're spreading that overhead out over 25 jobs instead of just one or two, just one, one or two. Yeah. So that's why we try to run between four and five jobs at a time. And if we're running that about the size we are, if we're running five decent sized jobs, we're good. If we're under that five, that's when we're kind of like going. Please give us a change <laughs> order for something. And that's why when you're starting out, keeping your overhead as low as possible mm-hmm. is critical. Because the more overhead you add when you're starting, the more your rates have to be up to cover that overhead. And then you're cutting yourself out of jobs and you're outbidding on them. So when you start out, keep it as lean and as cheap as possible. Run, run it right out of the house. So. Out of the house, <laughs> out of your truck. You don't need an office. You don't need a big shop. You know, going out and buying equipment. You know, that's the other thing I guess to look at too, is when you purchase a piece of equipment versus renting it, you know, you can kind of run the numbers a little differently and your rates can be a little bit less on that. The cost of ownership, depending on what you're buying and how much you're using it can work out to be less and your rates can be lower, but it, it's dependent on the piece and depending on how much use and stuff. But when you're starting, just rent, but keep all your other unnecessary overhead as low as possible. So you can margins can be competitive and you can be profitable. Once you get bigger, you add more pieces, you're doing multiple jobs, like he's saying. Now you're spreading that overhead out over multiple jobs. You can start adding stuff to it. But that's the big thing that people screw up on a lot when they start. And the other thing, too, is once you get on the bigger jobs, you're moving so much freaking dirt that you'll get stupid margins in trucking. It's insane. Like, I didn't realize it till I hit that mark, like, last year, I was telling you, where I finally got to that level. I'm, I've, I've gone from... Like the mid-sized jobs now where I'm getting more into the top tier jobs. Like I'm running, you know, every job I'm running 50, 60,000 yards trucking. You know what I mean? It's just bigger jobs. So, you know, <clears throat> what we're doing now is we've discovered this. And this is me talking to you. I mean, I've been doing this on my own for five years, but I'm still learning. And so, and, and Devin will attest to this too. Is a business owner, you should never stop learning. The minute you stop learning, you die. <laughs> The minute you don't adapt, you die. Yeah, that's a lot of things I try yeah. to tell my guys every yeah. day is the same thing. You're not learning something, it's time to get out. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm learning right now <clears throat> that trucking's carrying my jobs. <clears throat> if I get, there's some jobs right now I'm getting $100 load profit on right now. That doesn't sound like a lot to one truck. But you're running five, 600 loads of dirt. That's a lot of freaking money. That's $50,000, $60,000. Right off the top, you ain't paying nobody else. You ain't got to pay nothing. That's going to you. And it's helping us because of what happened to us in 21 when we took that hit. All that money, unfortunately, right now, but it is it is what it is. It's going behind to catch up on the old crap so we can move forward. But here next year, once that's behind us and we can maintain that kind of margins, you know, we can, we can add the next three tractors we want to add. We can add the haul truck. We can add the dump truck and stuff that we want to do me and Devin were talking about it my ultimate goal man I don't want to get any bigger than about 30 machines that's as big as I want to get that's the perfect size company man you're not you're not a monster you're not having to bill millions upon millions of dollars every month just to keep the lights on I'm not even talking about making money just (laughs) keep the lights on man you know so it's 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 an interesting thing. You can go one of two routes in this industry. You can go like this, go vertical. And about two years from now, we'll be talking about how you went bankrupt. Or you can go kind of nice level name. off. Yep. Next opportunity comes, 
kind of go up with it, level off. Next opportunity comes, level off. And I was an idiot. I went vertical for about five minutes. Then I realized COVID happened and I went, I stayed there and I've stayed there for about three years. I'm glad I did because I've watched two or three guys that started when I did and they got huge and now they're calling me, sending me guys because they can't keep them busy. So it's unfortunate. Well, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, it's unfortunate when this thing, when, you know, a slowdown happens, that's what exposes companies. Unfortunately it is. It's, you know, it works that when works work and, you know, everybody's getting paid on time and all that's going on, man, everybody's blowing up. But when it's, you're just kind of in a steady, you're not in a recession, but it's just steady work where it's not blowing through the doors where you can get any kind of money you want. You know, last year guys were making insane money on jobs. I mean, margins were kind of fluking out, like you were saying, because people were begging you to get on their job. It was like, hey, man, you know, I can't get to you, but if you throw another 20% on this job, yeah, I'll get to it tomorrow. Hopefully, yeah, well, we can do that, you know. And these GCs were willing to do it because, you know, they're going to have to start paying liquidated damages if they didn't get the job started. So there was a lot more incentive to pay you. Whereas now it's kind of the interest rates have gone up and now it's kind of leveled back out. There for a long time it was a subs subs were winning now it's kind of a okay we gotta play nice with each other now so you know <laughs> so, you know unfortunately i uh you know a prime example is i want to tell you about something about owning a business um it happened to me today uh, i can tell Devin can tell you this i get told monday hey man we're gonna wire you on friday okay cool so friday morning comes around we have our meeting the guys are in the office this morning we're all sitting there and wire doesn't come. My mom calls, you know, she's still recovering from being in surgery. And, uh, I call you. I said, Hey Bubba, did you get your money? Nope. <laughs> oh, you didn't get yours either, huh? No, nope. they, they said they were going to wire it, but it doesn't look like that's happening. I'm probably getting a check. Oh, what a surprise. Did you get yours yet? Nope. I literally got off the phone with you. What was that? Like four fifty-five? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I got it at five o'clock. I ain't an email. Your wire sent. I'm like, thank you so much. That was so kind of you. Friday at five o'clock. Their owner had forgotten and was at the PGA tour thing they got going on in Friday in Dallas right now. That tells you how much he cares about the subs. So this is my point to this. <clears throat> That's the situations. It company my size i'm still dealing with sure just multiply it times 50 though when you're counting on one job because you're only doing one job at a time and that shit happens to you that's what's you gotta heart's gonna be racing like crazy yeah yeah. that's that's what i was talking about those problems that are gonna come up and then you're just like holy crap you got to mentally prepare yourself for this stuff man it kills people like i'm not i'm not trying to doom gloom like we did last episode but i'm just being real for a second just be careful do your do your due diligence, man. Check these guys out. Call around, man. And you're gonna get my number. If you get a job with somebody, call me. Call him. He hadn't worked down here very long, but he could probably help. We're gonna that's what I started doing about it about six, seven months in on my own. I started calling people, going, Hey, have you worked for this guy before? Yeah, yeah, I have. Oh, are they okay? Yeah, they're great. They're great. Okay, cool. Word of mouth's a huge thing. It's yep. the best thing you can do. And in it, honestly, man, if you've got a good reputation from working for other people and stuff, call your old employer, dude. They'll tell you. They're not going to be afraid to admit it to you. Like, I've had two of my guys go out on their own. They'll call me up. They're like, hey, you know, we're they're doing jobs I was doing like three or four years ago. Those size jobs. They're working for them. 
and they'll call me up and I'm like, man, they're great, dude. And tell those guys to set what's up, you know? Right. And, um, you know, if I can send you any dirt, let me know. That's the other thing too. Start networking with these other excavation companies. You, you got an import job or an export job and you got a good budget in there, dude. And they got a job right up the street. Bring them dirt, dude. That's it. Send a phone just call. Just hustling money, man. That, that's where the money's made, man, is in the trucking, dude. The trucking, um, the demolition work, all that stuff, that's where the money's at, man. If you can haul concrete, you're charging them 300 bucks a load to haul concrete, and it's only costing you know, 75 bucks a load. You're making money, dude. That's all, That's been a part for me that I've actually wanted to start doing, but it's like I know I can't do that just on the weekend. So it's like, yeah. oh, man, okay, what what can we start with first off and then get to where you actually want to be? So. The other thing, too, you got to look at, too, though, when you're building your hourly rate, though, and, and I don't mean to keep bouncing around about this hourly rate thing, you want to incorporate all your costs, though, into, like he was just talking about, that 30% markup. Before you even do that, though, you want to have that already in there on top of that 30%. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? No, say it again. So, you know, like you're going to eventually have to get a software, right, to do your takeoffs and stuff like that, right? So, you, you're going to have a monthly payment on it probably when you first start because that's what I had to do when I got – that's something we didn't talk about. Let me start – go back really fast. Everybody, fin finish what you're doing. We'll go back to This that. episode, <laughs> people are going to be like wanting to pull their hair out. We're just going to call you Brandon the Yo-Yo today. Brandon is on something. Uh, <laughs> no, um, what you want to do is you want to get the first thing you should buy when you go into business for yourself. After you file your business, you get some insurance, you get a name figured out, you get a cheap website made on like GoDaddy.com or whatever. Go to AgTech. Reach out to the local sales rep. I'm going to send you his number, by the way. He's a great people. Good friend of mine. Loves the show, by the way. He listens. Um, he's going to hook you up. They do a 12-month financing deal it's a twenty thousand dollar software it's not bad for that it's gonna be the best money you ever spend in your life i'll tell you that right now it's gonna get you cut fill how many yards you got to haul import export it's gonna give you your square footage just for your building pads it's gonna give you how much square foot for your parking lots how much square foot for your it's gonna give you everything and they're gonna train you how to do it that's included in that price is is i think it's five hours was it five hours of training couldn't tell you. I got a guy that I hire subcontracted <laughs> out to. Go. But yeah, that, uh, it's that's, like Brandon was saying at the start of the show, the freelancing. Yeah, yeah like, like honestly, I, I did it the old school way for years. You know, they get the prints, do the takeoff myself, and I got so good at it, I could do them pretty quick. But when you're bidding, you know, 20, 30 jobs at a time, sure. it's still a couple hours every time where you can use that software, send it off, and it literally, it just, it saves you so much time. And time is your most valuable asset when you're starting because you're wearing 10 hats. You're doing the billing, you're doing the payroll, you're doing the, the job, you're running to get the, the materials. You don't have a free minute in the day. So if you can do anything that's going to save you time, and especially that, when it comes to the software, that stuff is so accurate and so quick and so good at spitting off takeoffs, quantity takeoffs on it, it just cuts down your time. For me, my other way of doing that was I literally subcontracted out. I got a guy, does my takeoffs for me, awesome guy, uses AgTech. It's so simple, it's, it's, it's awesome. It yeah, saves what, you a ton of time. That's what our engineer out there on the job site actually uses. But I'm, I still, I'm still pretty old school. I'll still get out the the engineer's ruler and the and the set of plans. And yeah, you <laughs> will, you will the first couple of times you look at it, and then you realize that the thing is exactly deadly accurate, and then you start trusting it, and you, <laughs> you go. just go with it. And then the other thing is too, uh, when you're sitting in your driveway at ten o'clock at night because you had to work all day running your other job that you're doing at the the job, uh, you're gonna get so pissed off because you're trying to do it like this and measure it out you can go man i just bought a laptop and 
you know, trace this out and get my quantities in about an hour. It's a lot easier. So that was something we were, I got it right here on my sticky note. Get a good estimating software. You don't have to buy an iTech. I actually, believe it or not, we have two other keys for uh, Dirtworks, which is like some cheap stuff. It's like two grand, but it's just as accurate. You can't build CAD files with it or any of that, that cool stuff with it, but it's a lot more involved. You have to trace every line, whereas AgTech, as long as the PDF's kind of good, it'll take the line work off of it, and you might have to tie some stuff up, but and you have to vectorize it and label everything. But the other thing we need to talk about is um, we, we just, we've nailed knowing costs, so that's good. We've nailed networking with other contractors, um, starting your estimate. Um, reach out guys when you're starting up to other contractors and maybe see if they wouldn't mind sending you a copy of an estimate, not, not filled out or anything, but just kind of get an idea of what one looks like. The other thing you can do too is, um, you can actually ask a GC if they'll send you other estimates from other companies, but you just ask them to blot it out. They'll blot out the, the costs and it gives you ideas for what a proposal could look like. Yeah, I've actually had to look up a couple of them just yeah. to start kind of getting my head wrapped around it. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I, I used to do that with guys when they're starting up. They call me up, "Hey man, can I see what your estimate looks like?" Yeah, no problem. Now mine's generated off the of software I use. the The first page is the other three I made myself on PDF. Um, but the first page it's generated, but it's still a great thing you could build off of Excel or something. You know, if you wanted to build it that way. Um. The biggest thing you want to include on your proposals, man, is you want to include your quantities. A lot of guys I see nowadays aren't doing that. That really can bite you in the butt. If you don't put down how much you're actually going to do on that job, they'll go, well, you said you're just going to haul all this dirt. No, I gave you a quantity because then you got something to hold them liable to. So if you get, when you go to contract, make sure you actually put the quantities in the contract too, because if they try to say, Hey, well, you had 16,000 yards of haul off. And you do that, and then the utility guy, love you, bro, but the utility guy leave, <laughs> and the utility and concrete guy leave another four thousand yards on the job just sitting there, and they play, oh well, we we hauled our dirt off because pipe guys, I love you, pipe guys don't know how to estimate dirt; they know how to put pipe in the ground, and they're good at it. Yeah, don't get me wrong, not talking crap, but they don't know how to figure out. Oh wow, I'm putting a twelve inch pipe in with three inches of base below it and six inches of base above it, huh? That's like two feet worth of shit that's not getting dirt put back. Yeah, the dirt guy will get it. <laughs> yeah. The dirt guy so will get it. Just put it in his pile over yeah, there. So they'll, they'll, they'll take their length and width, and they'll go, yeah, divided by 27. Cool. Yeah. So it's like 100 yards. I'm going to haul it off. It's really like 5,000 yards. There you go. But, guys, make sure that you do that because that's something that you can show. You'd be like, okay, well, you don't believe me? Here you go. Here's the trucking bill I just paid. And most trucking companies give you the actual quantity of dirt you hauled off. A lot of them do. Or they'll give you tickets. And go, I hauled 20 yards of load, verified, and here you go. This is how much I hauled off. Other thing you can do is, once you got some money, you get the drone guy. You get one of these guys with got a drone. Have them come out, shoot the whole job for you before the utility guy gets out there. Yeah, topo. Yeah, yeah showing the whole job's on grade. So when they do that shit to you, you can be like, that's fine. That's cool. I'm hauling it for 500 bucks a load. That's not even including the loading time, though. That's just the load. There you go. Then you hammer their ass. <laughs> and then guess what happens? 90% of the time, they show back up with a loader, and they load it out themselves. <laughs> so, um, Yeah, because it costs you to go back in there just to grab yeah, that dirt. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, anyways, we got off topic with that. But 
it's little things like that though, man, when you're, when you're starting up, that's really going to help you, especially when you're estimating, like you want to build your estimate where it flows. So when they're looking at it, they're like, okay, they, you want it. So they don't call you six times. Cause when you, I noticed this when I first started bidding, you might've noticed this too. They used to call me all the time, dude. They're like, Hey man, do you got this in your scope? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that. Oh, okay, cool. Now they call me and they go, Hey bro, I just read your proposal. Uh, I saw you were just going to MC only five foot outside the pad. I actually need you to do 10. I know the souls report says five, but I need you to put 10. Oh, okay. Sure. No problem. So then I'll recalculate it. Right. And I will immediately put moisture conditioning 10 foot outside. And then that way it's, it's little things like that, that that estimator from the GC is going, okay, these guys know what they're doing. They got a real well-written proposal. There you go. I just had that happen the other day. Job we're bidding on our proposal, same thing. We break down for utility. Okay, we're doing so many linear feet of this diameter pipe, so many linear feet of this pipe, this many hydrants, this many catch basins, you know, everything. Break it down. Submit the proposal. Get a call the next day from the GC. Hey, uh, we're looking at your proposal. We got all this stuff. Uh, we don't have any of this stuff on our the other bids. Like, uh, is something missing or what's what's going on? It's like, no, you have all this off-site work going on. What really? They go through the plans, and sure enough, whoever was quoting it before missed all this offsite work. So, looking at my proposal, I'm one hundred and fifty thousand dollars more than anybody else. Everybody else missed the offsite work. Mm-hmm. So, because I listed that in there, and the GC read through the proposal and could see the quantities of pipe and all the stuff broken down, he can look at it and be like, "Okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's not just giving me a out to lunch number." If I hadn't listed that, I probably wouldn't even have got the job. They would have awarded it to somebody else and they would have got change ordered shit or somebody would have had it took yeah, off so the job. Did, screwed you up. did him a favor, yeah. I did him a favor, but I also did myself a favor because my estimate didn't just get thrown out the window because it was double what the next guy's was because I could justify why there was that cost there. And it goes both ways. So we just did, I th- I've told you this, uh, a couple of the viewers have heard this story before, but this will explain the whole story. Um, we did a job... We didn't do it, the actual job. We got awarded the job. We had a contract for it and everything. But it was a uh, caliber collision. And we bid initially off the soils report. And they said, hey, by the way, uh, we need this job rebid. It went like six, seven months later. They called us up. They said, hey, there's new plans. They'll be advised. There's some new plans. Well, they come out with the structural plans finally. We didn't have the structural notes before. So the structural notes say, do not do what geotech report states. Structural engineer will not sign off unless blah, blah, blah is done, right? So Pete, my estimator, recalculates the job to do instead of MC, all select, eight foot of select fill all the way up. And this is a big pad. I mean, it's like 50,000 square foot. It ain't, it ain't small. So it's a huge difference in number. Oh, absolutely. But nobody else saw that, Right. So we go back and we send it to them. And they're like, oh, man, we can't do that. That's way outside the first budget. I said, okay, well, you know, you got new plans and stuff's changed. So they call us back and they say, hey, we're going to contract you on the original proposal. Okay. So we're not doing the eight foot of select that the structural engineer says he will not give the bill sign off on. Well, we're going to give him okay. The guy wouldn't budge about it. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. Sure. Right? So, you know, it's his license. It's his insurance that would be paying for this if the building collapsed. Collapse. Right? So, 
they send us a contract. Everything goes good. You know, we get everything done, do our red mark, you know, red pen, the contract, send it back to them. And they call us and they say, Hey, can you revise that number now to do the eight foot of select? I said, sure. No problem. So I sent them a change order. Same price. Actually, it was a little bit more because select went up a little bit because it's been a couple months. So I sent them back a price. Uh, Man, I'm going to need you to work on that number. That's what it costs, man. I'm not coming down about it. Sure. You already got me on a contract, so sorry. Get more money from the owner. Well, the owner doesn't want I don't care what the owner don't want to pay. It's not my problem. You got to be thick skin, yeah. Yeah. You got, you got, <laughs> your structural engineer is telling you you have to do it this way. So have the owner call the structural engineer. He's probably going to tell him the same thing. So anyways, they ended up giving the job to somebody else. They did the eight foot of select. I found out they charged them. Initially they had them go out there and do the MC. And then the structural engineer figured out that they did that because they went out and actually bored it. And when they bored it, they figured out there's only two foot of select in the pad. So they made them rip it all out. Oh, wow. That charged the cheese. <laughs> The, so it cost him double. Oh, basically. the dirt contractor yeah. charged him double. Rightly so. He did what he was told to do. So that's my point, guys. Even if you're in the right sometimes, it's not always going to work out. But like he's talking about, it does 99% of the time. If you're working for a guy that's got some common sense that's – And they're reputable. Yeah, and they're reputable. And they actually read what the reports. They read the geotech. They read the structural notes. They read the civil plans. If they can recite the plans back to you, that's the guy you want to work for because they're like, wow, this guy's on his stuff. He actually pays attention. I can't tell you how many times I've turned bids in and the guy's like, yeah, man, we, uh, you're like 80 grand higher than everybody else. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Well, you missed, they missed something. No, they didn't. They're, you, you, you overbid something. I'm like, no, no. There's a turn lane called out in the plans. Did they do that? What do you mean there's a turn lane? And then they're having to go call them. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. having to ask them about what, their what proposal. What do you mean there's a turn lane? Oh, well, there's a turn lane that has to have four foot, have two foot of flex base underneath it with geogrid. Did they catch that? Oh, uh, no. I don't I don't see anything on anybody else's proposal. It, it's stuff like that, man, that's going to help you separate yourself from everybody else. Because there's a lot of lazy people. People naturally are lazy. If they can be lazy about something, they're going to be lazy. A lot of these guys, they're just not, they don't want to type these proposals up. They just want to click print and email it so they can get to the next one. But if you just take a little bit of time to type it out, at five extra minutes, man, it's going to save you a lot of headaches. It's going to save you a lot of heartaches. And you going, I think I included that in my scope. <laughs> you know, and you're not even questioning yourself. Or you're just saying yes because you're so excited because you're new and you want to get the job. And this is where you got to, you got to pull the reins back a little bit and be like, no, 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 no. I got to think strategically here. I got to think tactically. You yeah. Know? That's, that's, I've actually listened to a lot of the podcasts. You guys are one that I really enjoy listening to. And, uh, but there's a couple of podcasts that they'll have individual people's kind of like myself on it. And you'll hear a lot of them talk about how like they just want to get every job and they want to, you know, go out to those job sites every time they get that phone call and they, they want to be that competitive and, and that's I'm loving the fact that I get to listen to those things and the stuff that you're talking about today to where you, like you just said, you know to be like, all right, no, I don't need it, or hey, that that's not that's not going to work for me. Don't don't get butt hurt if you don't get every job. If you start getting every job, you're doing something wrong. You miss something. I bid I bid thirty <laughs> jobs a month and I might win five, and I don't care. I know I'm going to win about five. Yep. I've accepted that for a long time. 
Because what? guess what? Those five on one, I'm probably making dang good money on them. I, it's going to take forever to get paid, but I'm going to make good <laughs> money on them. But the, 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 the other thing you got to look at too, though, is when you are building your company, man, you have to do everything cheap as humanly possible. It is like you have to pay yourself crap. It's unfortunate, but you have to. Uh, you have to be frugal. Uh, you're probably going to work a lot of Saturdays. Probably going to work a lot of Sundays sometimes. You got to be willing to put the time in. That's the other thing. You know, when you're estimating, you got to think, okay, I'm on a three-week job right now. The average job takes 60 days from the time you bid it to the time a blade touches the ground on average. I mean, that's when everything's perfect. You know, I can't tell you how many times we started a job. We've been in February. We just started in August. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times it's happened. Yeah, you got to update your pricing, but you initially bid that job, say, in February. And the owner has changes or the city changes something. So you have to constantly bid. So if you're wanting to do two jobs a month, just think about this. You're probably going to have to bid roughly 20 to 25 jobs a month. That don't sound like a lot. But that's a lot. Oh, yeah, that's a big time. And that's then a, you're going to probably have that's to. That's a lot of time outside of the work to yeah, do. Yeah, and you're going to be doing that and then having. No, a, you're doing that at night because yeah, you're doing yeah, the work outside in the, day. the work. Yeah. <laughs> so the way I did <laughs> it was uh, like Devin was talking about. I bought the Ag Tech key, but initially I didn't even use it. I actually had my buddy do my takeoffs for me. And what I did was I had a little Excel form that I built. And I would sit on the job, running the job with my guys, and I would actually type up proposals and do Excel. And then if something happened on the job, I was typing change orders up for my job right then and there. And I'd walk up to the superintendent. I'm like, hey, here's your change order. All right, cool. You know? Um, so I was the the project manager, the superintendent, the fuel guy, the grease guy. Yep. I, did, I did everything. The parts uh, runner. Yeah. Um, the best thing I did was about three months in, we got, we got <laughs> to the point where we were on three jobs at once. So what I did was I got a superintendent. That was the best thing I did. And it was a buddy of mine that worked with me, and I trusted him. He took good care of me. Um, we had a difference of opinion, so he left, but so be it. He's off doing his thing now. More power to him. Awesome. Um, but he helped me get it started, and he brought in some great guys. They stayed, they, and most of them are still here. And, um, you know, it, it's just just know that you're wanting to do two – like he was talking about, you're gonna have you're gonna figure out that number you got to be at once you start figuring out what everything costs. So say your overheads, if you're gonna be knowing you, you probably need two three guys getting started. You'll probably knowing I can already tell you're that kind of guy. You're gonna go after a you know a daycare center or something like that. Something something a little meat on it, hundred thousand dollar job, something like that. Your overhead on that size job, you're probably gonna be at twenty five thousand dollars a month, just starting out the bat. Okay. That don't sound like a lot. Oh, off the start, yeah, yeah sure it does to me. Yeah, <laughs> fifteen thousand, yeah, I mean, fifteen hundred sounds like a lot. You don't even want to know. <laughs> you don't even want to know, minus. I'll make you cry. But anyways, you want to get to the point where you're incorporating that number in everything you do. So if you're doing a job that is going to take you a full month, that job has to cover the whole month's overhead just on one job. So if it's a hundred thousand dollar job, and like he was talking about. If your suppliers alone are thirty thousand of it, there's only seventy thousand in there. Well, you gotta cover rentals still. A dozer's renting right now for anywhere from nine to twelve thousand dollars a month without tax. So if you kill it, kick the tax in there, all that it's fifteen grand a month. 
So you gotta think about that. That's then you got payroll. You gotta pay your guys. They got fuel. So if you're twenty five thousand a month, you really need to go after a hundred fifty thousand dollar job. That's really where you're gonna make your money because and it's all scaling. You gotta learn how to scale it. Once you learn how to scale that, that's where the key is. Now you can go do four jobs at forty thousand a piece and you're doing one hundred and sixty thousand, but you're gonna be running rampant. You're going to be literally, as soon as you're finishing, you're throwing the dozer on the truck and you're going to the next job and you're praying to God that this guy ain't calling you because there's no issues on that job at all. You're praying there's not a single issue and you're starting grubbing the next job. And then all of a sudden they're calling you, hey man, this grade's off a little bit over here in the corner. (laughs) The concrete guy don't like this corner. I'll be there at 12 o'clock at night on Thursday with the skids here to fix it up. (laughs) Can Can you come back and fix it? So this is where you have to. You got experience with that, Brandon. <laughs> oh, I've been doing this way too long. The saddest part is now I just know how to type an email back that pretty much tells them they're idiots. And okay, <laughs> so real quick, I'll just say this and I'll be done. This is the key. Do you know what I put in my contract now? Because of that situation you just talked about. General contractor and concrete superintendent and concrete surveyor will verify grades while blue topping operations are being completed by Iron Eagle Excavation. Failure to do so will result in back charge for remobilization of equipment and TNM for any work that needs to be redone in accordance with concrete contractor's request. Sounds pretty legit. So guess who the hell shows up when blue tops start going in the ground on every job I'm on? Or actually, the concrete guy's there. I'm like, he's like, we're not even forming for two more days. I don't care. You're going to sign off on these grades right here, right now. I'll stop a lot of that crap. Oh, yeah. We don't go back anymore. I'll tell you, there was one job I did. I went back five times just for a little shit. Tenth off here, you know, half a tenth over here. Wow. Yeah, just out of tolerance. Make sure your contract also is plus or minus a tenth. Don't let them get you on that inches crap. It's plus or minus a tenth. That's industry standard. Trying to pass the wisdom here. I, really I don't <laughs> want to see anybody go you're through. Do, you're doing a good I, job. At I don't it. want to see guys go through the heartaches I have. I, I really don't. You know, I even tell him all the time. I'm like, hey, be careful about that. Okay. Yeah. Well, he does pipe, so I don't know pipe that well. But when he does dirt work, I'm like, do this. Trust me. You know, and I'm proud of him. He gets, he, he rapes these dudes, man. I love him, man. <laughs> don't, don't tell him that. Don't tell him that. He does. Everyone gets a smoking deal. Everyone gets a discount. It's all yeah, built in. Yeah. It's, it's like he's like that used car salesman smacking the top of the car. He's like, can't beat this thing, man. Look at this beast. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He's he's a beast, dude. I've watched him. If you if you guys get a chance, guys, uh, check out Devin's Instagram, man. He's always teaching guys stuff. He records videos, all that stuff. We're gonna start linking him to the channel, so start uploading them on the channel on our shorts and stuff, so people can see him. But he does some phenomenal stuff, man. And I'm gonna eventually when I can get. Everything lined out in the office again. I'm going to be out flying the drone and the gimbal with the camera recording jobs and start teaching people some stuff. But the other thing, we got a few minutes left. We got about 10 minutes. But the few things I wanted to address before we get off of here, I know I've done a lot of talking tonight and I apologize for that. But it's all good. It's all good knowledge. People uh, need to hear it. That's what the show is for, right? I, I know, but he's, he's a better talker than me. He's got the radio voice. um the other things that you need to think about too though guys when you're when you're growing and building a company um you know you always hear oh you need to 
attribute yourself to the to the to the new generation of operators and you got to build your company with new operators. No, you don't. When you're a brand new company, dude, go get some guys that know what the hell they're doing, dude. I'm going to tell you that right now. You're going to pay a little bit more an hour, but you're going to have that peace of mind. And don't be afraid to go buy a GPS. That should be one of the first things you buy. Go buy GPS. Skip the laser, go right to GPS. Go to GPS and then, no, I'm going to go real old school and buy transit. Real old school. Get a transit with a target on it. There you go. Because you know who can't argue that one? When that concrete guy's got a shitty ass Ryobi laser out he bought at the fucking Home Depot 10 years ago that doesn't work (laughs) and it hasn't been calibrated. And you pull that transit out and he's like, you're four tenths off right here. Yeah, that's funny because I'm shooting within a millimeter. Can't argue that one. When that sight's lined up on it and it's clicking, yeah. We get out of that all the time, man. We'll have them argue about sidewalks and stuff and they're not reaching the ADA spec and stuff. It. I bought all my guys transits and I trained and Robert trained every one of them on how to run a transit. It doesn't happen. They'll sit there with their laser all day trying to do this crap, trying to get it to beep. And I'm like, no, it's off, dude. Your shit's shit. <laughs> and, and like, we'll get our laser out because we get ours calibrated every year like they're supposed to. And we'll calibrate and we'll shoot ours. And it's like beep, solid beep, you know? And I'm like, dude, you just fuck off, you know? So well, that's, that was, you know, you talk about that a lot. And I've heard a lot about that and, you know, talk. In the industry, and I've actually, I'm one of the aspects that I have on that I'd like to add on to the company at some future time is actually performing concrete work. So, yeah, that way you kind of get out of that aspect of those things. The problem, the problem you run into, me and him were talking about that. You know, eventually we want to combine forces and just start attacking jobs and find a good concrete guy. We just all go hit them together because if you got a good utility guy and a good concrete guy as a dirt guy, dude, it's great, man. There's two or three of them, dude. I'll do all their work, man. I'll, Concrete guys, like, we do all their fine grain for them and all that because they'll pay us to do it. They're like, hey, man, I don't have a skid steer available for this job. I know you guys are going to leave it a tenth low probably. <laughs> That's what y'all do. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but, uh, you know, how much per square foot to come dress it up for me? Well, you know, whatever it is, I'll charge them, you know. And uh, I'll just bring my box blade out there with my GPS on my skid steer and I'll make it look like glass for them and I make an extra 20, 30 grand on a job just doing some stuff for the concrete guy. Yeah. I mean, and then the best part is I go, Hey, I don't want to backfill the curbs, so I'll pay you to do that. Oh shit. Yeah. We'll do that for you. One less thing you got to deal with. Cause that's the third time you don't have to come back. If yeah. you, the, the less times you have to get back on that job, the better man. Yeah, I try like to were, do two and that's it. Yeah. Just like you were talking about networking, right? Ne- networking to yeah. where, you know, you're working with other contractors and getting involved with other parts and aspects of it. Yeah. You scratch each other's back, man. At the end of the day, we're all in this together. And sure. even, even guys in the same industry, same space, doing the same stuff. Like it doesn't hurt to network with those guys because stuff comes up, you're busy. You know, I get three, four phone calls in a day and I'm swamped for four months. Call this guy, give him yep. a shout. Yep. I can't do the job. Might as well send it to somebody else. Right. And that's, that all comes around, you know, at the end of the day, if you're, if you're a good contractor and you're running a good business, you're not scared to send work to other guys. There's enough food at the table. You ain't got to worry about somebody eating your lunch. And it's really what it comes down to. And, and working with other guys in the industry back and forth like that, it goes both ways. You know, you build those relationships with other companies, whether they're in the same space as you or not, you know, you can have those relationships and push work back and forth with each other. And it, it all just makes everything a whole lot easier when everyone's working together rather than fighting each other. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, it's just way better. Another thing you got to think about too, man, is, uh, you know, everybody preaches about the client's always right. Customer's always right. All that stuff. That's great, man. 
the end of the day, you got to eat. And um, you're better off making good relationships with other subcontractors versus the contractor. I'm going to tell you that right now. Because those subs could get you work. There you go. That contractor, he's going to dangle that carrot in front of you to take 20 grand off. And he's going to go, I got all this work coming in. I got all this work coming in. It's like, (laughs) okay, dude, you got to bid it just like the rest of us, dude. That owner has no loyalty to you, dude. If you're the high bid on the next job, he's going to give it to whoever the hell is the best. That's right. That's right. So be polite, be professional, but have a plan to kill everybody in the room. I mean, quoting General Mattis here. But, you know, it's, it's, it's the truth, though. I mean, it does apply to business. I mean, you've got to always be three steps ahead on that kind of stuff. So if you're working for a guy and everything's going great with him, I mean, that's great, and he's throwing you a bunch of jobs. Now, if he's throwing you a job and you're still on his job, yeah, keep, yeah. Play nice with that guy. But you got the guy that's got you on that one-off job, and it starts off on the wrong foot with him, or something happens. It's construction, guys. Shit happens. <laughs> if you start off on the wrong foot, like we're doing a job right now for somebody. I've never worked for him before. I'd heard horror stories about him, and the horror stories are true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and you well, know. That's the kind of the crazy part about construction, though, man. I've been doing it. I've been in Texas now for been. 12 14 years or so and yeah. you still see the same people just it just just like a just like clockwork just sort of like a rotating circle you're like wow you're still here yeah. yeah it's crazy well and it's just it's one of those things man like eventually no matter what they say to you they're going to give you another job they might be mad at you for a week or two whatever get over it if you're a little bit they're going to give you the job they don't care so it's just if you're going to deal with that man just know that hey like i was saying you know we're dealing with the nightmare guy right now their lab is so jacked up that they're using. And so I actually just paid Terracon to come out and get samples of the select fill just so I could prove their lab is incompetent. Oh, so you, you offer the money just to be like, hey, listen. <laughs> I literally just paid for Terracon to come take three samples of select because I brought four. This is how jacked up they are. I brought four different loads of select out from four different pits, and they're telling me the PI is off on every one of them. What's the PI requirement? Seven to 17. That's not high. No. And they're telling me that one of them is equivalent to cushion sand. I said, yeah, you're you're crazy, bro. It's literally clumping in my hand. So, yeah. Yeah. So, that's what we're dealing with. So, that's off topic. But that's what I'm saying. So, sometimes you got to do what you got to do just to prove a point. And this right here is proving a point. I'm sure. gonna, you know, I'm going to go, hey, your lab's incompetent. So, there you go. Um, But at the end of the day, guys, when you're when you're building these companies, man, just stay humble, stay frugal. Don't forget where you came from. When the street needs to get cleaned up, grab a broom, grab a shovel, help the guys out. Don't blame it on the landscapers. Don't blame it on the landscapers. <laughs> we know. actually blame it on the pipe guys on our job. <laughs> there you go. Just, just be, just be you, man. Just be the guy you've been for the last twenty years in this industry. You know what I mean? Just, just because you're an owner. And it don't mean you gotta go put a suit and tie on either, dude. I wear a polo and jeans. That's the most dressed up I'm gonna get on a job site. I don't care. Um I'm not here to impress you. I'm here to do a job. If you don't like my work, that's great. Get somebody else. But my work speaks for itself. I let my work speak. I don't care. I don't gotta wear an eighty thousand dollar watch and all yeah, I've seen how some of these guys roll. That's cool. Well, I like I like how you say humble there, Brandon, is cause you know, when I started off in this industry, I had a pretty mean blade operator that I worked for that would but when they say running hubs, it was running hubs, mm-hmm. you know, screaming, yelling, cussing, throwing stuff, you name it. And it was just at, at a young age, being 16, you realize, okay, I don't want to be like that. Yeah. And then I 
try to pass that down to all the people that have worked for me or work with me to just be that same way. Like let's, let's be a leader here. Let's not be a boss. So Yeah. And, and the other thing too, man, is you want to just, you want to lead from the front, not from the back. You don't want to be sitting at the table, barking orders at them. You want to be out there helping them. I mean, unfortunately, I'm at the point now where I'm actually sitting at the table having to call them like, hey, bro, you got to get this shit fixed. Oh, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> now we're there. But, you know, for three years, it wasn't like that. I was out on the job site with them like, hey, bro, you need some help. Let's get this buttoned up. I got to get this done today, you know, and I'd stay late with them. We yep. get it done and we roll on with it, you know. Yeah, it was, part of- it, it was funny because the, the the job I started on, the, one of the foremans I got working for me, great guy, wonderful guy. Um and he, we, we had him working on a Saturday and I pulled up out there and he goes, what in the world are you doing here? I'm like, what do you mean, man? He was like, I didn't expect you to see you here. I'm like, you're here. I'm here. That's a leader, man. That's what it's all about. hundred percent. Brother, you got anything you want to talk about? I think we covered a lot on this one. It's this a mouthful. A, this is a good episode. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Hey, Brian, we appreciate you coming on the show, man. Thanks yeah. for making the drive so far to come see us. Hey, man, I'm used to it by now. I, I got a two-hour drive home. It's, it's it's no big deal. I'm used to it. So. I really appreciate it, man. Do you got any social media or anything you want to put up that anybody wants to find out, find you or anything like that? No, I think I'm going to stay kind of like you said, humble to myself. I got a lot more to work out, and I got a whole lot more things to kind of kind of get toned in to, to make sure that's going to be successful because that's what, you know, that's just kind of my nature, the way I kind of am is, is I I accept failure, but I tried not to have failure. Go cheap on your website, bro. <laughs> Just saying. Get, I can get you some cool pictures you can put up of my shit without the logos on it or something, you know. Just just get some basic stuff, dude. I paid like 600 bucks for my first website, I think. I mean, I got a nicer one now, but it literally was our logo. It was, I think it was a bulldozer pushing some dirt. It literally had, hey, we do this kind of work. This is where we're located. I got more phone calls. Now I got an expensive one Everybody's like, oh, I didn't check out your website. Oh, well, I just found you on Google. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's, yeah, that's great. I mean, it's, it's Google that's, my business, man. That's going to be the biggest source of yeah. uh, traffic for you, for sure. No, that's, yeah. yeah, that's been a big aspect. And like, you know, that out, out, right on my bedroom, I made an office right on my bedroom and it's got all kinds of papers just kind of right on the wall with how kind of the operational side of things and the, stuff I'm looking at doing. And just like you just said, that's, that's even on there. Google my business and marketing and costs and margin. Like we talked, I'm going to tell you one thing here. It's awesome to plan and do lots of planning and plan things out, but don't plan the shit out of it. Just Mm -hmm. sometime you're just going to have to pull the pin and jump on it and figure it out as you go, because you can sit there and you can plan it to death. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to pick a point and just jump. And that's just what it is. You know, you're not going to be able to anticipate everything. You're not gonna be able to figure everything out. You're not gonna be able to plan everything out. Sooner or later, you're just going to have to say, screw it and go for it. And you'll, you'll work it out when you get into it. Cause yes. we all did, you know, and, and that's the thing at the end of the day, if you're not going to quit and you're going to keep going, just dive feet first and get rolling, get Maybe. to a point where you're semi comfortable and there's never going to be a perfect time to start. It doesn't exist. You're just going to have to say, screw it and do it. And that's, that's the thing. And just have grit, bro. Just have grit. Yeah. And just remember something, my buddy, Mike, he's the CFO for one of the companies I work for and great man he's a great mentor of mine he says they can chew you up but they can't eat you you just remember that man and uh i say this to all the viewers thank you for watching thank you for listening uh stay humble my friends Uh, give us five stars on the spotify please like and subscribe Uh, we got another episode we're recording next week but it won't be out for two weeks and uh who we got coming down 
Uh, we got a buddy of mine coming down from San Antonio. I'll leave it a surprise and, uh, you guys can, can see when he gets here. He, uh, does dirt work down there too. So good guy, great stuff and should be a good show. Yeah. We're, we're pretty excited about that one. And, uh, Brian, keep us in the loop, man. We'll, uh, we'll try to have you back on maybe in a year or two and you can kind of let go. us know where there you're go. going, there you know, go. yeah. how's going and everything. We'd love to see how everything's going for you. 20, 2025 is the date I got set. So. All right, That's man. awesome, man. Stick yeah. to it. That's it. Get after it, brother. And uh, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for watching. And uh, uh, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the On Grade Podcast. If you're wanting to get into the business, grow your business, or learn more about the trades of construction, this is your hub. Brandon and Devin both own excavation companies in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And on each show, you'll hear from the business owners and leaders that make the industry tick. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, find us on Instagram at on underscore grade TX. On Facebook at On Grade Podcast. On YouTube at On Grade 5384. And find the show on Spotify and Apple. See you next time on the On Grade Podcast. <laughs>